Thank you for tuning in to the Critical Conversations podcast, brought to you by Mind the Frontline. Established in 2023 as a 501c3, Mind the Frontline is your ally in the journey to support those who selflessly safeguard our communities. Their core mission revolves around pioneering innovation and research, education, and overall well-being specifically tailored to healthcare, military, and public service frontline first responders. The Critical Conversation podcast is a dedicated space for police, fire, EMS, allied health workers, dispatchers, air medical, and military personnel, along with their families. Here, we dive into the heart of the matter, tackling essential topics such as mental health strategies, recovery methods, treatment options, the latest research, and professional development opportunities. Before we dive into today's episode on Critical Conversations, we do want to, however, acknowledge the nature of our discussions. Some of the content discussed may be triggering or intense as we explore the challenges and the triumphs within the first responder community. We recognize that these discussions may evoke strong emotions or memories. If you or someone you know is struggling and needs immediate support, we urge you to reach out to your agency's mental health resources or your local peer support group. In time of mental health crisis, you can always contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline by phone or via text at 988 Please remember you are never alone and help is always available. At Mind the Frontline, we are more than just a podcast. We are a community committed to fostering resilience within the entire first responder family. So whether you're on the front lines or supporting those who are, we invite you to subscribe, engage, and be a part of this vital mission. To learn more, please visit us at www.mindthefrontline.org. Now let's dive into today's critical conversation. First responders, listeners, and Mind the Frontline members, welcome back to another episode of Critical Conversations by Mind the Frontline. Today, I'm honored to have a guest who brings knowledge and experience to our ongoing mission of fostering resilience in the first responder community. Our guest today is Eric Chase with EMS Improv and the EMS Improv Podcast, where he brings the yes mindset to first responders and their organizations using comedy with a purpose. Eric is a speaker, he's an educator and a trainer who provides transformative presentations and workshops to help improve organizational engagement through experiencing the power of yes, leadership, collaboration, compassion, authenticity, resilience, and more. You can find his website at www.emsimprov.com. He's also on YouTube, Spotify, you can check him out on his website, you know, all those common podcasts. Just do me a favor, get on there, give him a like, and share his episodes. Without further ado, let's jump into today's episode and glean some valuable insights from our esteemed guest, Eric. Eric, welcome to the Critical Conversations podcast. Chris, thank you very much, and it's a privilege and an honor, um, and I bring you the humility of my experiences also to the time that we'll share. So thank you very much, and I'm grateful to be here. Well, so are we, Eric. Thank you so much for making the time. You know, we've been kind of following each other over the last, you know, I would say several years. You know, you're a former paramedic. Um, you're very passionate about mental health and first responders. And I think we share a lot of the similar type of experiences, which has kind of drawn us closer over these you know, past couple of years. And more uh, specifically, these last couple of months as we continue to collaborate with each other and find ways where we can help each other and our organizations out. You know, I'm really excited about this topic and, and the topic that you chose about unrealistic expectations and how they kind of could be a, a, a 
a hindrance to our recovery, really. Um, when it comes to unrealistic expectations, you know, when we look at those, you know, we think about like the pressure to perform, you know, at least for me and my expectations, you know, are those unrealistic at times? Are they realistic? You know, how do those expectations kind of affect you and, and kind of what you do in your day to day and your recovery? Um, the unrealistic expectations specifically is when I find myself in a position where I'm not accepting the things that I cannot control. And for me, like, for example, we had a conversation earlier where I had a cumulative uh, test this morning where I did everything that I thought I could do well and right, studying the mindset, the effort, the sleep before, and I thought I was prepared for it. And it was the worst test that I have, uh, result that I've had in years, including taking microbiology and chemistry, physiology, anatomy, and everything else as I'm pursuing a, a second degree. And that made me really uh, actually sad. I, I was bummed. And so the outcome that I got did not measure up with my expectations or my anticipation of what I was going to do. And I wasn't in a place to have received that information. And I should have set my mind to the potential that um, life happens and that we're not always successful and that failing does happen. And uh, for me, as I continue to learn and grow, um, I try to make it that my, that knowledge and skill gap from failure to success is diminished. And uh, I immediately called my wife and, and she said hello a couple of times. I, I had a difficult time bringing uh, to terms uh, my failing of the exam. And simultaneously, it was cathartic in a way that I let the truth out. I didn't fester. I didn't let it stay within me. And I didn't, I didn't choose this time to try to get through it on my own. And she just said, we'll figure out what we have to figure out. We'll cross the next break when we get to it. And having people in, in relationship, I think, are the most important for any of us in the first responder world, in our family lives, in our personal and professional, where we can reach out when we're feeling something um, adverse, potentially, or even positive, because we need to share the positive as well. But that's a big thing for me, was I was not able to accept that reality in that moment. And it can be hard, you know. Um... I know when it comes to being a first responder, you know, and working in a high stress environment, you know, balancing expectations, at least for me early on in my career was extremely hard because I didn't know how to appropriately set those boundaries. I didn't know how to really set realistic expectations. You know, I, I feel like it, it has kind of been a challenge over my career because, you know, Throughout my career, you know, for example, you, know, you you have an expectation of you want to become a critical care paramedic, for example, or maybe you want to become a police sergeant, or maybe you want to become the nursing manager of your floor unit or the lead dispatcher. We, we have these kind of ideas or expectations based on our upbringing, based on our environment, you know, who we are, our character, our morals, and all those lead us into these expectations which sometimes can lead us to continue to grow, which is a good thing. But sometimes we can lead them, especially if we don't achieve them, being the, such of the uh, type A personalities that we typically are, or just highly driven and motivated individuals. You know, I find the challenges of, you know, how do you accept those failures when you don't meet those expectations? And, and really being able to go back and, and look and go, hey, was that a real realistic expectation in the first place that I had 
or you know, was it not? And if it wasn't, then how can I readjust that, reframe it in my mind and apply it and let it go? Just like you kind of did today, you know, you saw, you know, you, you had a challenging exam. It wasn't the results that you expected, um, but then you were able to apply some of the tools and the resources that you've learned over the years and how to overcome that, you know, expectation. It could have been unrealistic. It could have been, you know, a realistic uh, expectation, but, you know, the challenges I think lie for us first responders is what do we do when we don't meet those expectations and how do we let that go? I wholeheartedly agree. And, and that brought up several points as you were um, sharing some of those points with me. So the personal reflection versus the professional. I want to talk about something professionally that helped change my mind shift uh, to the point where when there was a failure, the outcome, the measurables weren't what I had hoped for based upon my clinical observation, my treatment modalities and, and, and everything else. And the patient outcome still wasn't uh, what we would have hoped or we get titled as lifesavers. You know, we save lives. We, we, we're, we were critical care paramedics. We, we flew. We were on the streets. We were in the back of the ambulance. Um, and, and I changed my mindset to saying I only alter circumstances. And, and I had to come to the realization that me altering the circumstances may have led to that patient at least to be able to survive to the hospital where family or friends could be there to have those potential goodbyes. Um, Altering the circumstances are what we do in our lives anyhow, and we can do them either positively or negatively, depending on the resources that we have around us and our willingness to be transparent and vulnerable. And I've grown in my vulnerability, and that's a big key. But changing my mindset to I'm altering circumstances, and hopefully I'm doing them to the best of my clinical judgment, my clinical skills, and my education. And with that being said, to the personal as well as the overarching professional, who are we doing these for? Is it my motivation or is it someone else's motivation that's leading us down a path? And that's, that's unexpected or unanticipated realization when the motivating factor is not intrinsically within you. Do we still step up or do we have that difficult but honest conversation with the person or people that are holding us accountable for something that we're really not wanting to engage in? What is our mindset and our focus? And is that what, what's driving us? And is that the goal that we see for ourselves? And, you know, we, we have to have, have these questions with ourselves. And for me, I'm fortunate that I have a family and, and authentic relationships and friends. Um, and I also go to therapy. And I think that's super important to be able to share that with your listeners. That, uh, to have these conversations, particularly with a professional, a therapist, counselor, psychologist, or psychiatrist, uh, it takes away some of those personal feelings that we have about giving and sharing with somebody that loves us. And sometimes we find it hard to love ourselves unconditionally. So thus, we're not necessarily loving someone else unconditionally. And that can cause, uh, cause deleterious effects in the relationship, not only at work, but at home and with our friends uh, groups as well. Absolutely. You know, it's always a struggle, I think, as a first responder, you know, we have these expectations when we go on calls, you know, for example, you know, I go on a 911 call or maybe it's a, you know, a HIMSS or, you know, a helicopter EMS mission as a flight paramedic, you know, I have this expectation of, okay, you, know, you get the dispatch, you, you see the call notes, you know, you start formulating, you know, an image in your mind and how you're going to treat this patient and, and, 
I never go into any of those calls and I wouldn't expect anybody of our listeners, you know, would be saying, Hey, I, I go into work to fail, you know? And so the expectation that I have when I go to a call or on a mission is that I'm going to be successful. I, I play it in my head. I envision the scene. I envision the patient. You know, I do all of this before I even get to the actual, you know, call. And once I get there, you know, you start adding more information based on what you see, sight, smell, all of that. And you continue to formulate these expectations in your background about how this call is going to go or how my clinical treatment is going to go or the clinical expectation or course of the patient based on my treatment. And when that doesn't go the way is planned, I can tell you it definitely throws me through a loop. And it's something that I struggled with throughout my career. And I would get off shift, go home, and I would take that that unrealistic expectation and all the feelings behind that, and, and, and it would spill over to my marriage. You know, and I find myself also having these unrealistic expectations or expectations when I do something at home that I get frustrated over or creates resentment. And I have to really have that mindset. And I love how you put that because you really do need to get yourself into that mindset of, of vulnerability and really just exploring yourself and asking yourself some tough questions. You know, why do I feel like this? You know, did I do everything right? And I love how you put it, you know, your goal, the expectation that I should have had going to some of these calls is I'm gonna be the best clinician I can be today. And that should be, that's a, that's a realistic expectation. You know, going to this call saying, hey, I'm going to save this patient and be a hero and, and make a difference in somebody's life. While obviously that is my goal, it should not really be an expectation of what the potential outcome could be. And I, I see that as always being a challenge, especially in my recovery early on, because I really had to get in that mindset that you talked about, Eric, and, and really kind of get in my head and, you know, have those hard conversations with myself. It's interesting. I've grown so much in my vulnerability that, that the authentic relationships and the people that are around me, uh, for those that are accepting of that, and, and maybe we're all facing something, um, so not to presuppose that we're not. And simultaneously, uh, being my authentic self, being the best I can be in the moment, has minimized some of those those negative outcomes that I've felt about myself. And I, if it's okay, I want to talk a little bit about neuroplasticity in our brain, you know, talking about the inner critic where the dorsal prefrontal cortex is kind of our inner critic. Uh, don't say that, or, or what if I do that and I'm wrong? So we're already fear. setting ourselves up. Fear, right? We're already engaging in that fear response before we've even acted. So then we know um, as paramedics in both that have flown, that, that's not a safe one. It's unhealthy too, and we're not going to be our best clinician with those inner critics flowing if, if they're not safe, if they're not managed, if we're not containing them within the confines of the knowledge and the education that we have. And that's a big thing that I think so many of us do when we start to feel that anxiety, we start to feel those emotions. Um, we don't contain them within the confines and the construct of the education and, and the learning and the simulation. And, and the actual patients that we've seen previously, whether yeah. it's, it's the age of a patient or something that is just so horrific, if we don't re-engage as quickly as possible, then we're, 
it's the whole, uh, what am I trying to think of? Excuse me. Self-fulfilling prophecy is going to happen. So I went in there with the anxiety and then all of a sudden I'm proving myself right by not being able to manage the expectation or be clinically um, appropriate. And You're feeding I, I your have, narrative. <laughs> and yes, I'm feeding my narrative. And, and then, so you get off shift and then feeding my narrative is unhealthy. And then for me, it would be, you know, what I go, you know, go to choir practice uh, at the end of a shift if I was working overnight and that'd be, you know, several of us will go out to drink at six or seven in the morning. And what is that doing? It's masking, it's, it's hiding the, the symptoms as opposed to me confronting them and dealing with them or calling a friend or a priest or a pastor or my counselor and just saying, hey, or, or even my wife, you know, having true, truly good, authentic relationships with people where you can be honest and vulnerable, uh, I think is important. But I wanted to kind of bring that one piece in because if we're feeding that narrative, as you said, we're, we're going to be in that loop cycle um, and not in a flow state or not in a positive flow state. We're going to be in a negative flow state and uh, we're going to cause harm to ourselves and, and the people around us. And, and we've all been there, right? You know, I, I have the same story. You know, I would get off shift and, and it would be beer beer 30 at 7.30 in the morning, you know, and, and we're hanging out and we're debriefing that way, which, you know, is masking some of the symptoms. It's not giving me that opportunity to be present, be clear of mind and, and be able to work through some of these problems that I, I might be struggling with, you know these expectations that I had for my ship, the expectations I have when I get home, the expectations I have for my bills, you know, whatever life might throw at you, you it spills into all aspects of it. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, how you think the culture of first responders, whether it be police, military, dispatcher, you know, any of the uh, lines, you know, when it comes to the culture of first responders, do you think the culture sets us up as we come into this industry or this profession with unrealistic expectations of, hey, we're gonna save everybody, we're gonna be a hero, we cannot be sad, we can, we're never gonna be uh, struggling, you know, all these expectations, right? Which I feel like are unrealistic, you know, saying now that if I was to go back and restart my career in fire or EMS and say, hey, I'm going to get through 20 years and I'm going to come out unscathed. I'm not going to have any issues. I'm I'm not going to struggle with, you know, some of the calls that I've seen. You know, that was my expectation coming into it. And, and the stigma around mental health has definitely, I think, helped form my narrative early on. And, and now I'm trying to change that narrative because, hey, you, you didn't fail. We never fail. You know, the patient failed or this, you know, we put it off. But at the end of the day, the expectation I had when I came into this profession was, you know, hey, I'm going to wake up and love going to work every day. I'm going to enjoy what I do. I'm not going to struggle. I'm not going to have any difficulties or challenges. And when I do, I'm just going to basically say they never happened or it's okay. I'm going to put on a, a kind of a facade. Um, how, how do you feel like the industry as a whole um, plays into this with the culture of first responders, EMS, fire, police, any of that? Um, looking present and, and going backward, um, I want to bring up a couple things to your point. Uh, firstly, I believe that we are truly improving in the, in the effective uh, roles where we're learning to effectively uh, deal with our emotions better. There are 
organizations and, and systems and leaders and managers that are starting to finally come on board um, and, and starting to provide services. So I'm seeing that there is that positive tilt or change. And yet, if you go back to my upbringing, and, and I just turned 56 today, and I, and I say that for a couple of reasons, not because it's my birthday. Happy birthday, but, by the way. Well, thank you very much. Um, we have to look at, like you said, our upbringing, who, who we are around, and what organizational uh, mindsets we were involved in and with. I was in the military after graduating college. Kind of silly, and, and, and yet I learned a lot of things. And it was all mission objective, mission focused, and there was no failure. You couldn't fail. Failure meant somebody was going to die. Failure meant you did something wrong. You didn't have the right fire mission. You weren't on point. You weren't paying attention. And then subsequent to that, um, you couldn't show your emotions. You had to just react and respond and deal with the next because the next thing was coming up. In law enforcement, it was very similar. You had to put on these facades and these walls and these masks to be tougher than you may want to be or were in order to kind of bloviate and, and be that big person um, and have that mindset where you were going to win. And it was you versus them because otherwise it's the worst taste results. And we know that those things happen, but are they happening more frequently? And we're training for the worst case scenario as opposed to the everyday things that we have to deal with in order to potentially keep us from having that worst case outcome. So communicating better with people, having those effective skills, learning resiliency and communication. And I think as I've grown older, and realized and talked with people like you and other organizations and going to therapy and listening to my wife, because she would flat out tell me, you never, it's never your fault. Well, this isn't something that I intend to come off as. It, it, it's the environments that I was in that said, speaking up or talking about your mental health or your, or your lack of mental wellness was not appropriate. It wasn't good. It was only gonna bring everyone down around you. So the missional focus was not going to be uh, and with a positive result because you were a failure. You acted inappropriately. You did the wrong thing. You weren't on point. So understanding and, and, and understanding childhood trauma and understanding our environment and understanding all these things are so vitally important if we're willing to do that dive. And, and again, this will be the third time I say it. This is how important it is. Counseling can help us. It has helped me and I still need it to continue to maintain that focus and learn new things in the nuances of, am I feeding back into the narrative of the negative narrative or am I learning a new tool and, and, and receiving new gifts? So I could be my authentic self. I could be truly present, accept things that are going on around me, even if I don't agree with them. And so um, everything that I grew up in, uh, I even saw it early in my HEMS career, and when we changed it with the organization I was working with, it was all mission, mission, mission. And they specifically changed that so that we were less inclined to take an unsafe flight if the weather was going to be an issue. Um, why didn't they say the, the age of the patient and they only gave a wait if we knew it was a pediatric? Because they didn't want us to think that we should be missionally focused, that military mindset of let's do it regardless of our safety. And I, and I think those things changing, uh, a cultural shift in that 
when managers realize it's not always about that end result um, of getting a patient from point A to point B. It's about the entire team, uh, the professionals, the clinicians, the pilot getting there safely, or the, the EMS crew in the ambulance. If it's unsafe, it's unsafe. And we have to be able to, to know that and speak the truth to that, that we can at times say no. It was uh, three to say yes, one to say no, and it was no. And in, in those situations, we were going to be evaluated. And I could stand on every time that I made that no decision that, that it was right for the safety of us. I feel like the culture for me when it comes to expectations, like when I came into this, the, the, the culture, the industry, the professions, they, they already have, you know, an expectation, right? The expectation of there is no problem. You have seen that shift and I love how you put that because you are seeing, you know, these new modern leaders, you're seeing shifts in train of thought, you're seeing more and more organizational culture changes where they really do foster, you know, a growth set mindset. You know, it's okay to make a mistake, you know, but it, it takes years sometimes to change some of the things that we were exposed to and some of those expectations that we had early on as we continue to grow throughout our career. For me, it was more, you know, I had the expectation that when I, if, if I ever needed help, if I ever got so far down in, into the pit of despair that I was going to hurt myself, I would reach out to someone and there would be immediate help, the fanfare. It's like calling 911, you know, everybody's going to show up. That was kind of my expectation. And then I also had the expectation of, hey, it was okay to kind of speak up because, I, you know, we were kind of in the trend of adjusting culture, I guess, within the industry. But I do realize that, you know, not only five years ago, um, when I first started bringing up my mental health issues, you know, I started going right into that expectation of, okay, I will just, you know, I'll be able to go in, I'll get therapy, I'll start some meds and boom, everything will be okay. I'll be back on the ship and yes, I'll be fixed. And that's unrealistic. It's also unrealistic to say that we don't really talk about this and the challenges surrounding, you know, the unrealistic expectations the industry sometimes puts on us, whether it means, you know, completing a mission, going to a difficult call, um, you know, dealing with leadership, you know, whatever that might be, I feel like some of the uh, expectations, you know, have slowly changed, but you still see a lot of ego, you know, and you see a lot of fear because it does take time, as you mentioned, you know, as that kind of stimulus comes in through my prefrontal uh, cortex and I have to now figure this out, you know, it's, it's really my own mindset that helps with that narrative and helps kind of make sure that it's kind of like a balance, a checks and balances, you know, it's as it comes in it, before it goes out and I commit as an expectation, I really kind of, kind of bring in a momentary pause as you would, and really kind of evaluate that expectation to make sure like, does it align with me, who I am, what I'm doing, the mission at hand, and is it achievable? You know, and if it doesn't meet some of those things that it causes me to question that expectation that I have. 
you know, I feel like, you know, as we continue to move through the topic, you know, when we talk about expectations around social media, I feel like the perception around social media, whether you're a firefighter or a nurse or a physician, you know, we all follow social media and we see all these other people and all these influencers and people that are within our industries, you know, and we start kind of formulating our expectations around that. How do you feel like social media kind of plays into, you know, expectations, good, bad, or indifferent? So I think it's, it's each one of those things, and it depends on the lens for which we're looking through and what has been going on with us. And, and one of the things that I'll say is if I, if my reaction or response to something is, seems angry or anxious, um, I then need to reflect on the guilt, shame cycle a bit that I'm going through. I didn't allow myself to pause as, as you were speaking about um, to do the checks and balances. And I became reactionary versus responder um, using all of those things that I, I have the tools, I have the capability, um, but I became too reactionary. And I think a lot of the things that people post from a reactionary standpoint are to, are those cries for help, you know, and, I, and I'm not trying to cast a, a negative aspersion on people that, that are doing this. In many cases, social media, um, we feel safe and comfortable by expressing anything. And at the same time, what checks and balances do we go through before we put it out there? So um, is that somebody that we need to look at or reach out to because it seems negative, derogatory, or off-putting? And if it is, from our lens or perspective, what's hurting that person? Um, secondarily, the overtly and, 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 you know, the profoundly toxically positive person. Um, and I just learned this in talking with uh, uh, Daniel Sundahl a couple weeks ago, you know, toxic, uh, toxic positivism. And, and, and in that case, too, what are we using that excessive positivism to mask and cover up for the hurt, the guilt, the pain, the shame, or the trauma that we may have uh, experience or bore witness to. So I think the, the paradigm is, is all, and I, and I think social media creates a place that can be safe if the person is using those checks and balances. And yet simultaneously, the people that are seeing that and receiving it may not be in a mindset or a, a good mental state to receive it. And so then we start seeing these outlandish conversations and and arguments and you know from from just the ems professional posts uh or, or social media you see some that are very thoughtful uh that nip that in the bud you know to keep people from you know saying things that are irresponsible or unprofessional uh, ethically poor not cl clinically sound and simultaneously uh, you know we all want to stand on the first amendment and and I'm not going to be dismissive of that yet if we're not being thoughtful and if I'm not not trying to hurt somebody then the outcome can be harmful and then the consequences to me let alone to whomever may have been hurt need to be uh, considered and I, I don't think that we take enough time as humanity and, and I'm growing every day to try to do a better job as well as I know you are um, but it creates a space that can be very, very unsafe. Um, and, and as opposed to using the word trigger, I've, I've started saying a catalyst for inappropriate or appropriate responses. 
And I like that catalyst. In any way, in any way, shape, or form, uh, I want to be a catalyst of positive change. And 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 that's less about my work. It's much more about my action. And when I feel incongruent with my words versus my actions or vice versa, then I have to self-reflect. And I love your point of saying the checks and balances. We're all capable of it. And yet some of us need tools to assist us um, to improve how we evaluate what we're going to do. And, you know, the whole analogy, we have two ears and one mouth. If I were to listen more, I would be much, much better off to allow space for someone. I have a friend that's a, in law enforcement and we have very weighty conversations and that person has had a, a level of suicidality as well. And that person would all will always ask, do you have space for this or do you have space for me? And that consciousness and that conscientiousness of the other person I think is important because I can belabor any point, but if my wife came home and had a hard day and I just start rattling off all the bad, sad, ugly, horrible, or even positive things, it's going to create an environment that is not necessarily congruent for uh, homeostasis, to use a, a medical term. You know, we know that life can have its ups and downs and ebbs and flows. And with saying that, I'll get to the point. No, I mean, it, you, you feel like, Eric, you know, it's... You you brought a lot of good points there, so I'm trying to like unpack that, but that was powerful. I do like the fact that you always, and you taught me this early on in one of our earlier conversations, you know, hey, you know, if I have the space, you know, reach out. If I have the space, I'll take it. You know, I'll definitely help out where I can and provide that. Um, but if I don't, just know that it's not you. It's just I, I don't have that capability. You know, having those expectations early on now, like that has reframed my expectations of just our personal relationship, right? You know, being able to go, oh, okay, I know that when I'm having a bad day, instead of just going blah, word vomit everything, or here's all my negativity and I hate the world, you know, hey, Eric, you know, do you, do you have the space? I kind of need to work some things out. You know, I, I have some catalyst going on. I love that word, you know, it, but bringing that home or, you know, being a word vomit for someone who's not able to take that, um, it can be very detrimental, not only to them, but for you, because you're looking to try to get some sort of feedback as an individual to help you maybe process this. It's also nice just to be able to vent and get it off your chest. But sometimes, you know, our expectation of, oh, if I vent this and word vomit and get all this negativity out, I'm going to feel better. And that's not always the case. You know, because that other person might not be able to receive that and they just kind of, you know, you may not get what you were looking to get out of it. And you could also have just made someone's day just a little bit worse. And we need to try to be avoiding, you know, avoiding that and, and really be thoughtful on what we're doing and how we're doing it. And I love how you kind of brought up like humility, vulnerability. Those two things I feel like if I would have really started incorporating and really started growing personally early on in my career as a first responder would have helped me out a lot along the way. I can honestly say that when I became more humble so that I didn't know everything clinically as a, as a medical provider because that, that's the expectation when you get it. You're a paramedic. You need to know everything and you should be able to know everything. And if you don't, you're 
you know, you feed that loop narrative and that, that negative kind of energy that comes with it. I've had to go, Hey, I don't know everything. It's okay, but I want to learn everything that I can. And that kind of shifted my mindset into learning and growing clinician, you know, as a clinician, um, I didn't really practice that in my personal life until much later on, but I, it, it's something that you have to work at every day. You know, it's not something that just comes and goes, you know, I like how you brought up therapy because therapy and some of the tools that I use, like my daily reflections, uh, you know, doing some affirmations in the morning, my daily reading, you know, going to my, my counseling sessions for me, I'm in sobriety. So I go to my, my AA meetings at night. I go to my men's group and do readings. Like those are all things that I've had to incorporate to get me to that point where I am humble. I am vulnerable. I can think about others before myself. I don't necessarily react. Now, am I perfect? No. And the expectation that I have for myself now is I'm not going to do that hundred percent perfectly every time. I'm going to strive for progress, not perfection. I, I love that. I, I'm going to strive for progress, not perfection. And, and I think if I could assimilate that to my minute by minute, my daily kind of thinking and mindset, I'm going to be much better as well. Um, you know, talking about those expectations again and, and kind of where those came from and what motivated us or put us in a position to have these um, these expectations that are unrealistic and all of that to say when when we're creating space and when, when we're giving to others and we're, and we're using that empathy plus action creates that compassionate compassion space um, a lot of people are unwilling or unable to do that for themselves and they're going to give 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 and there, there is science out there now that, that proves that the more you need or, or the more burnt out you are, to use that phrase, the more you lean into self-compassion and in that vulnerability and in, in reaching out to somebody that's got this space, um, that, that you're healthier for that. Um, it doesn't mean you're going to solve that problem in that 30, 45 minute conversation with therapy or if it's with a, a peer. Um, or a professional or whatever the whatever that person looks like but you're starting to unpack and you're starting to see what you really truly need to deal with and what the focus actually is and that person is going to probably be able to see from an outside perspective the most important things uh, based upon what you're telling them because so often I can get overwhelmed and anxious on the minutiae of what's going on Mm -hmm. because I'm avoiding the thing that I need to deal with. And it kind of goes back to my call this morning. I could have worried and, and just become profoundly anxious throughout the entire day, nauseated, probably borderline depressed. And yet I decided that it was most important to call my wife to just start that conversation now. And starting the conversation now, I think for any of the listeners that are having it, um, growth starts in those uncomfortable conversations. They do. They really, really do. And and, and it's so important. And, I, and I'm just, again, grateful to be here. One of the things that I that I feel um, in, in having this conversation is when you when I heard you say, you know, I want to be there for other people. And 
when I don't have space or if somebody calls me at an odd time or an odd hour for that person and I'm doing something because I'm very intentional about not taking my phone at certain times when I'm with my wife to have that specific family time or with a grandson. That's awesome. Um, because I knew, she said, you're saving everyone else, but what about our family? Wow, that, that was illuminating and, and kind of a gut punch. And, powerful. And it wasn't very powerful. It wasn't out of disrespect to me, and yet I needed to be mindful of and, and be present with the people that, that I'm doing life with 90% of the time. And then somebody's going to say, well, you're really, if you're working shifts, you're spending more time with your work family than you are with your family family. And, and I don't disagree with that. And yet, I think we can all relate to that. If you've, if you've spent time in, you know, as a first responder of public safety, I mean, we, we burn ourselves out. We work a bunch of overtime. You know, we're saving everyone else except for our family and more importantly, except for us. You know, we just, we don't do a good job with it because as long as I'm saving other people, I must be okay. Right. You know, the fear, fear of failure. Yes. And I think, and that's the thing, I must be okay. And it, it, it's on a it's on a foundation of sand as opposed to concrete, uh, you know, 30 feet into the ground with those pillars still rot. It's not on a foundation of, of support and in, 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 in long term growth. It's we are going to fall and we're going to fall hard when we don't have these other resources to our avail. Um, and to my point, like I was at the gym yesterday, I started jogging again. Thank goodness. Um, coming off shoulder surgery. And I got to 4.7 miles, but in, in the midst of my time, my phone rang and I had earbuds in, earpods and I was listening to a podcast. And that person called at a time that it caused me a little bit of alarm because that's not their normal kind of MO with me. And so I didn't stop the call, but I, I moved out or I decreased my pace, which isn't a great pace anyhow. Uh, but I was moving forward, right? So I decreased my pace so I could get on there and say, hey, can you text me? Are you okay? Question mark. Because realizing that person's going to tell me whether or not they need to talk now or versus, hey, call me in an hour or two when you're when you're done creates that, that relational uh, perspective that uh, too often we're, we're transactional versus relational. So I gave them an opportunity and they gave me an opportunity to say where we were in space and time. And yet, if it's an emergency, if it's a crisis opportunity, I'm going to take that because I might not be able to help them, but them talking to me is going to be a stopgap or a bridge until we mm -hmm. get them to that right resource. And I love how you do this. And, and it brings me to, I think, just I had some really good points I want to bring up based on what you just said, Eric. You know, I read something, or I didn't read it. I watched it on Sunday on 60 Minutes, actually. They were doing a episode just to kind of relook at, you know, the 988, you know, National Suicide Prevention Number and hotline and, and, and the studies and some of the research that we're now starting to get out of that. What they found is that if someone called or utilized because you can text 988 as well so if you don't want to talk to anybody please you can we're always good at texting but they found that 50 percent less likely that that individual would actually go on and commit suicide it's crazy just by talking to somebody so having those ability to have and reach out you know and say hey talk to a friend talk to your spouse you know but you have to have some of these things in place beforehand 
And that also goes to what you just described, which I love, is the, the healthy boundaries that you put in place, not only for yourself, but for others. You know, you set those boundaries of, hey, I'm going to put my phone down and be present through these times to focus on my family and healing my family and not healing other people. You know, I'm going to turn inwards. You also bring up some really good points of, you know, I think it goes into, you know, talking a little bit about being uh, okay with failing. You know, we all have a fear of failure. And when we have an expectation that we don't meet, we immediately go to, I failed, I'm not worth it, I don't have a purpose. You know, that, narr that negative narrative just kind of spins out of control depending on what your mindset is and where you currently are. You know, what I look at, you know, what it looks like to be okay with failure or challenges, you know, I like how you kind of put it because I, I find myself doing this more and more as I set healthy boundaries for myself. But if someone calls, you know, if it's not an emergency, it, it, it's something that I, maybe I'm focusing on myself or maybe I'm burned out. Maybe I just don't have the space. You know, I try not to ignore them, but I kind of gently let them know like, hey, I'm kind of busy right now is it an emergency or, you know, is this a crisis or, you know, you put those kind of words based on who you are and how the person that you're talking to and, and who they are to you. But I, I find myself more and more being okay with failure. And I never thought I'd be okay with it, but I, I fail at a lot of things, Eric, now. And I, and I look back and I go, that's okay because I failed at that, but guess what I learned from it? And I take those positive things out of it, not the negative. I used to always look at something as failure and go, oh, I failed. I didn't study hard enough. I didn't do a good enough job on scene. I'm a cruddy medic. You know, I failed this family, you know, and I would take all the negative stuff out of that. And I wouldn't even consider some of the learning points, some of the positive outcomes, you know, there's always something that we can learn from. There's always some light of positivity. It just the shift of mindset when that stimulus comes in through your prefrontal cortex and our amygdala and then we, we scramble around, you know, what does it look like when it comes out on the other end, you know, and, and having kind of a filter through therapy, through medication, through listening to podcasts like this and yours and other people like that has really helped me with my filter to be okay with failure and know that failure is actually a part of life. It's a part of the job and it's a part of who I am. And the, the more I find myself embracing that failure and, and saying, Hey, I may not have met that expectation, but it's okay. This is what I learned along the way. I mean, for example, you know, a lot of people may not know this, but you know, I recently stepped down from IA Med, which was a training company that I founded almost six years ago. Um, I sold it in 2021. It's no longer mine, but I had this expectation when I sold it that, oh, we were going to finally get all the resources that we needed and, and, you know, all this other stuff. I had these expectations that were unrealistic now that I look back at them, but I held on to those expectations for the next two years until they slowly started eating away at me. They became, I became resentful. I became angry. You know, you mentioned during our call this morning, and that was super enlightening for me, Eric, but you mentioned, Chris, I don't know what it is, but you know, it's palpable. You know, you seem like you got your energy back, your fire, your, you know, you, you just seem like you're your older self again. And, and really what that was and what it has been, and it, it didn't happen overnight. It's not a light switch that you turn on and turn off. It is something that I've had to grow, learn, and accept over the last several months. 
and be okay with walking away with that expectation of saying, that was an unrealistic expectation and I failed to meet that unrealistic expectation. Okay, I didn't fail at what I did. You know, and that helped shift my mindset to really kind of continue to go forward with Mind the Front Line, the podcast, and all the other great things that we're doing. But man, it is it feels reinvigorating almost because I was able to let that go. I, I, I let the fear of failure go. You had said so many things and I felt some things when you when you said that. You were like, wow, thank you for one saying that because you noticed it. And I think that's important, firstly, and not, you know, tipping the cap to myself, but because I felt it, I thought it was important to say. Um, and that's, again, what we often haven't done, you and me or many of the listeners, acknowledging where people are. And just because I might be in a shit place where I was when, I, when, when you called me because I was driving um, after the test, I... I don't have to dwell in my crud to be able to recognize something positive. And that shared experience allowed us both to grow. And I came out of that call in a better mindset. It didn't stop the fact that I failed. And yet the shared experience and the growth of me listening to you and hearing that you have started to find your purpose again. And you're starting to set realistic expectations and recognizing what unrealistic goals and expectations are. And you gave yourself grace. You, you, you realized that this isn't uh, always going to be a negative, even in that moment of failure, because there will be a lesson. And the lesson was, is I got to hear your spirit. I, I started to renew and, and, and restore the mindset that's only going to keep me more positive and successful by not dwelling in my emotional heartache of, of failing. Because um, I'm not stupid, um, but I'm pretty black and white linear. And these test questions are multiple answers. Just like, just like if you're taking care of a patient or yeah. yourself, there's multiple possibilities. What's the best or the, the, the least worst you know, and you have to get to yeah, what's the floor. most appropriate, you know, what's the <laughs> most appropriate, right? <laughs> I love how they put and, that. And so with all that being said, I'm grateful that we had that conversation for me to be able to share that. And uh, I, I think that's important for humans, for us to be able to, to shine a positive light and recognize and affirm and validate what people are doing, even when that's not where you are. And, and because we've been such a contentious society, the world is so violent, it, it appears, and yet we see stories of love and grace every day. And those aren't the ones that we're sharing because people want to, you know, we, we it's, want- It's easy to get drawn to the negativity and, and the shit and all the negative stuff going on, the war in Israel, you know, all this stuff at home, politics, you know. But, you know, I, I think what we did in that moment, just in that phone call, Eric, is you know you were having a rough morning i was just calling to check in about this podcast but because of the tools and resources and, and what we're trying to both do in, in, in our recovery you know you were able to share with me i had the space to take that on but you also in the moment of your failure you gave me grace and gave me kudos and that built me up and i was able to come and, and 
you know, it wasn't transactional, right? It was, we were able to support each other and that's the way it works. You know, this is why connecting with other people is so darn important, you know, uh, and, and being vulnerable and exposing and saying, hey, you know, having these real conversations, it's okay because we can have those conversations. We can create these spaces to have the conversations where, man, you walked away from that phone call feeling better. Okay. You recognize it wasn't going to just be the end all be all, but it sets you on a trajectory and a path today that may have been, you know, better, hopefully than where you currently were. Like you mentioned, you could have just gone home, moped, been depressed, but this is what a community of first responders helping other first responders does. I think people don't really realize that. And so that's why I want to kind of spotlight that conversation because we put into actions tools of our own recovery to help each other build our, you know, ourselves up. And, and that allows us to do amazing things. You know, it, it's contagious. I also love how you brought up grace because we are not kind to ourselves. I am my own worst critic. We always say that, but really I, I beat myself up into a bloody, I, I don't even need to be here. When I decided to try to take my life in January of 2021, I had gotten myself to a point where I was a failure. I did everything wrong. There was nothing. There was no reason why I need to be here. I didn't have a purpose. I had lost everything. But from that, I learned a lot too. You know, I may have failed at killing myself. Great. I love it. <laughs> but I did not fail in succeeding and recovering myself. And I think that's important. And we left that conversation, which I think a lot of people just, they, it, we, I talked about this on another podcast episode, but you said, Hey, I love you, brother. And I said the same thing back. Hey, love you too, man. A lot of people just don't, we're not human enough. I feel like we're not vulnerable enough to really kind of, you know, check in with people. Hey, I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for what you do and, and, and what you bring to this earth, to what you bring to my community, more importantly, and our friendship. You know, those are things that, those are little things that we get lost when we have these unrealistic expectations is the human aspect and how we need to be human. We need to be vulnerable. And that all takes practice through, like you mentioned, therapy. That was a good place for me to start being vulnerable because I had to start there before I could even be vulnerable with myself let alone my family, my friends, my colleagues, coworkers, students, everybody else around me. Got me right in the field, sir, Chris. Sorry, man. It's a, it was no, a power a call thing. conversation that we had. And, you know, and it's important for the listeners, the viewers to hear this. I mean, because we do get emotional and it's okay. You know, Eric, you know, I cry all the time. It's, it's one of the most relieving things to let some of the negativity out and really get myself to a stripped down vulnerable state where I can, A, hopefully rebuild myself and continue to grow. Uh, yes, wholeheartedly. To that, to, to that point, you know, for the people that are listening that are going, it's not that easy. Um, to normalize saying, I love you, brother. Um, it may be uncomfortable to hear, and it wasn't for you, or it was a reactionary response, and you said, I love you back. Um, but when, when I'm feeling like I'm worthless, I don't need to be here anymore. I failed my wife again. I failed my, my children. I failed my patient. I failed my instructor. You know, I, I, I can feel and see all those failures. And at the same point in time, they, 
they have given me reasons to to continue, to persevere, to be successful the next opportunity. And um, you continue to talk about failure and people, we, we do exercises with improv and, and one of them is, is tell me you want to be seen or heard and tell me simultaneously that you, that you're hoping that nobody sees you. Because a lot of us, I think, feel that. And, and yeah. when we take that moment to, to say hello, even as simple as that may be, that person feels human again in that moment. And that may have been the catalyst for them not to choose to suicide that day. And, and, and I know it's not just that. Obviously, it takes so many other things. But it's, it's the simple, humanistic approach to caring about one another and we don't have to do it with everyone but if we start doing it with our coworkers and in our community of healthcare military um ems law enforcement dispatchers if we, if we can do that as you're doing with mind the front line in our family our community of people we can't overextend ourselves but this is a great group of people that we need to normalize those types of conversations and yet still hold each other accountable and Agreed. you know we we celebrate failure in improv and so when we talk about the left prefrontal cortex the limbic system the, the amygdala the hippocampus you know that whole uh, inner critic we can change our neural responses and thank goodness science has shown us through all the studies at stanford and harvard and the compassionomic studies out of new jersey uh and, and those other universities that are doing it that show we can fix us we can fix it and your brains can get new response mechanisms by experiencing these things um i oftentimes am looked at as this big imposing kind of not necessarily happy individual um i i am rather a matter of fact person and yet i use some of these tools to be more authentic and when people know that i'm more authentic I might not have the energy for them and, and they for me, and that's okay. Yet I'm not changing anymore to be liked or to like. I'm going to continue to grow so that that person recognizes that I am authentic. And if they ever need me as a resource, I am going to be that resource. And hopefully it's, at the very least, it's a smile or a thoughtful conversation and giving them the space to be their authentic self. And well, you say that, that, Eric, and, and and I don't think I've ever seen you without a smile on your face, for the most part. <laughs> you know, it, it's, you've always been kind of a, uh, you know, a pillar of happiness, at least in my eye. And that's just the way I look at you. You know, don't take offense. Yeah, I know you're probably not always like that, but, you know, you can definitely, it's palpable that you try and you try to impact others through, you know, positivity. Thank you. And, and I do. And, and uh, hearing that more often from people and, and doing that. Um, one of the things, too, is is when you give compliments to a person, just because they don't receive it in the way that you gave it to them does not mean we should stop giving it to them. And you even apologized. And at that point, um, I, one, accepted your apology and two, I uh, didn't feel any kind of way, shape or form that you had done something for which I needed to receive an apology from you. And yet I honor your apology. 
So I, I can accept things and that's where I'm learning th those things. Uh, to be my most authentic self, to, to release the facades of a uniform or a title or a position or education. Um, and improv has done all of these things because I have social support with that. I'm learning to adapt to things. We're using humor. And, and I just want to say this quote. It was interesting that it came up in a memory um, today specifically. But humor is the universal solvent against the abrasive elements of life. And that was by Alan Simpson. Uh, and it was agreed. Uh, that is awesome. Um, it addresses, you know, when, when I know I can feel again, it may be uncomfortable to realize that I felt something because I have anesthetized myself from the trauma, the hurt and the pain, um, or, or even the fear of sharing something negative, uh, or like my failure today. Simultaneously, we got to the point where we were smiling and, and I, I, I knew that again, I'm human and that's okay. And this too shall pass because I have tools and I'm implementing tools and I'm seeking new tools to grow. Right. Yeah. Um, so the humor works on, uh, or, well, humor gets us feeling again, as long as it's good humor, safe humor, not the dark humor that we often have relied upon in, in the public safety in, in the veteran world where, you know, did you see that blah, 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 blah. You know, and, and trying to make light of something because we're really not addressing how it made us actually feel. Um, with doing things like that, you know, in improv and doing these exercises, um, when I for the first time went to a class, well, I have to, I have to digress for a second. But that's okay, that's fine. Yeah, my I'm, I'm my wife the conversation. <laughs> my wife does not love when I share this because um, there are some expectations of me from her that I, I haven't met successfully or completely. So when I share these things, it, it's kind of a reminder too to the people that are holding us accountable that we can do better. And sometimes that response or reaction isn't, hey, I see your progress. There's work to do. How we receive it is not always the way that it was intended. So uh, in December of 2016, I, and I don't know why I was in a low place uh, emotionally. But she came home from work and she needed me to have space for her. And she was talking and then she looked over and we were a few feet apart. And she said, are you hearing anything that I'm saying? And I swear to you that I'm not being melodramatic in this moment. I'm not trying to be theatrical in saying this. I said, all I hear is blah, blah, blah. And she said, without hitting me over the head with a... How'd that go? Hand, yeah. Dude, she didn't throat punch me. She literally said, you need to find your joy. And that pierced my heart, just like our conversation earlier. So when I had tears, and when you said you were getting... When I told you you were getting in my feels, those were good things. Uh, because I'm able to feel and then react and respond appropriately to those. Or I'm putting myself in a better position to react and respond to them appropriately. A few weeks later on New Year's Eve, uh, we had gone to an improv show on opening night in Oklahoma City. And the kind of person that I was, there's 300 some odd, 400 people in this auditorium. I'm in the most upper row on the very aisle right beside the exit. Tell you a little bit about my past and trauma and experience. That's where I had to sit. Yeah. That's not where she would have sat, but yet she was going along to appease, to coddle, to 
not have me make an outburst or be anxious or whatever would make her feel uncomfortable. So yet I'm sure she was uncomfortable, yet she was going along. And at the end of their performance, they said, hey, in a couple of weeks, we're going to do this free improv training. And without missing a beat, I looked at her and I said, I'm doing that. And she kind of looked at me like, one, you're not funny. Two, you don't <laughs> like being around people. <laughs> this is totally out of character for you, Eric. Yes, th this is 100% not within your character or the person that she knew in that moment, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and those were all things because I was not being transparent parent i was not being vulnerable and if anything i was being obliquely most often and not because i wanted to but i wasn't trying not to not be and i went to this and she goes well i'm gonna go with you and watch and it was the first time in my at that time 2016 seven years so i was just under 50 that i was laughing for the first time not at people not making fun but i was laughing pure joy um, the facades and the walls of my my defense mechanisms were coming down. I was becoming my more, most authentic self. I had social support. There was humor. I was adapting and responding to things I couldn't control. And we were yes anding other people. And to quote uh, a partner of mine, Cristela Carrizales, when you say yes and, you're opening yourself up. Yes is the acknowledgement or the validation of what's being said. That's the acceptance. You do not even have to agree with it, okay? And I think this is paramount. The okay. end is opening yourself up, and this is Christella, um, my partner. Uh, you're opening yourself up to the opportunity experience. And, and ladies and gentlemen, listeners out there, however you identify, um, we say no way too often. And, and the most important person that we say no to is ourselves. Agreed. I was saying no to so many other people or yes to so many other people and helping them. Just like my wife said, you're saving all these other people. What about our family? I didn't know how to be vulnerable with my wife for fear of feeling like a failure to the person that has supported me in, in more ways than most people, if, if not all people on this earth. So in doing so, in, in starting to laugh again, I started to feel, I was able to start addressing things in my life that I was not doing well, uh, that I wasn't addressing at all, and that I needed to heal. Um, and, and a lot of it was that awakening of emotional awareness. You know, we talk about leadership and emotional uh, intelligence, right? Um, you know, I can still be a hard A. I can still be tough. I can still be missionally focused when I have to. And yet when I have all these other things, education, relationships, accountability. I can tell people with earnest and honesty that I don't know something and ask for help. Where I would not have done that before. And then I started doing improv training. And then I started learning. And then I started teaching. And then that's what brought me to starting the EMS improv. The engaged, being mindful, and sharing or telling our story. And doing exercises that are they, they give you all the feelings that you would have in real life without any of those adverse consequences and that's where you start succeeding by failing and knowing that you have the social support by doing something that is so silly wrong and it broke the game and yet we we do it again so 
getting up, redoing it, moving forward and learning the tool. And the, and the biggest two are saying yes and. The yes is the acknowledgement or the acceptance of whatever's going on. Is if you don't do that, we're not, you're not even be able to correct it. Yeah. And then the and is Tristella would say, open yourself up to the opportunity add your piece to that. And until we're willing to add ourselves into what's going on around us, we're going to be looked at as less than. We're going to be looked at as obtuse or ignorant or angry or sad. And all those things are okay if they're real and in our actual emotions. But how long do we want to stay in any of those places without moving through them and, and finding those places of healing and peace that I want all of us to have? I think it's moving through the emotions that I've gotten better at versus getting stuck on a specific emotion, so to speak, you know, and, mm -hmm. and helping ourselves out, helping our, we have to be better about taking care of ourselves and, and opening ourselves up to different thoughts, perspectives, feedback, you know, and, and I like how you kind of put it, you know, I, I used to not say no a lot. I would, I would always be an open book, an open channel, you know, 24 seven live, you know, so to speak. And that just isn't healthy. It's also very unrealistic um, when it comes to keeping yourself going, not burning out, your family, relationships, and stress, you know. So I've really had to come up with setting some realistic milestones, but I've had to use um, tools to do that. You know, I, I've read books. I've, I've looked at Atomic Habits, you know, Ryan Holiday, uh, his, some of his books. I've talked to other people like you, Eric. I... I learn from other people because now that I can open myself up and be vulnerable, I can understand that, hey, I don't have all these tools. I don't have all these resources, you know, but hey, maybe here's someone that does or someone that I, you know, that appears to have it together or the resource that I'm trying to grow. And I start learning how they did it, you know, how did, and it doesn't happen overnight, but it does help me as I continue to move through some of these emotions that I experience, and some of them can be very, very powerful. Some of them are even crippling sometimes, but I'm able to transition through them and not get bogged down or stuck into one. But I've had to set up those realistic milestones and, and expectations and really, you know, utilize that checks and balance before it goes back out. And that's one of the hardest things, at least for someone like me, you know, um, I'm very reactive. I was way more reactive when I was an alcoholic and, and before I even got into recovery and treatment and started working on myself. You know, I was a very reactive person, reactive on social media, reactive on my replies. You know, everything in life required a level 10 response, you know, and all hands on deck. And I've been able to, over time, uh, through tools, healing, and all the other resources that I have, learn that, you know, not necessarily do I need to have this grand old emotional response. Sometimes no response is the best response. But then I had to come up with, okay, well, now I got to leave that alone. And how do I feel comfortable doing that? You know, so, you know, you will continue to explore and recognize things within yourself, areas of places that you can grow. You know, I call them challenges. You know, some people call them defects in AA. You know, it just depends on how you look at it. But, you know, one of the things I did like about AA as I was going through and working the steps was the fact that they teach you that, hey, not all your character defects are just going to go away. Like some may never go away. And that's okay. You just need to learn how to cope and manage them. And, and here are some healthy tools versus alcohol or substance abuse or, you know, aversion, you know, diverting, you know, any of that. You know, you have to be kind of open to that.
and, and taking that in. And it's really a, a great experience. I would highly encourage a lot of people to really start looking at, you know, letting things go, you know, and, and accepting, you know, once again, being graceful with myself, because as I accept the things that I cannot change, I learn to let them go and live with them. And that allows me to now move into the next phase of that. Okay, I got to live with this. Cool. It's part of who I am. It's part of who I'm going to be, you know, and now I can kind of move more into my, you know, authentic self and, and those around me know who that person or that individual or whatever it is that's going on in my life at the time. But it takes time and practice and, you know, therapy, you know, as you've mentioned, you know, having conversations with your friends, connecting, uh, being vulnerable, but more important, you know, understanding that if or when you fail because it's inevitable or if you have what we would call a character defect or something you don't like about yourself or you know it could be body image could be anything your temper you know for me it was it was my temper it was you know how i would react to my kids my wife you know things like that i i eventually learned that i have a defect this one may not go away and that's okay but i'm going to continue to work on it. i'm going to continue to be aware of it because if I'm aware of it, well, guess what? Now I can choose how I respond or react to it. I, I love that. And it, it brought up a point in me that as soon as something can be identified, that defect, uh, and in some cases for people out there that are afraid of getting a, a DSM diagnosis of uh, a depression or anxiety for which you're seeking medical and therapeutic treatment um, and, and then doing any of those other things, um, yoga, meditation, mindfulness, exercise, improv in my case, whatever we're doing, um, the, the greatest fear and the inhibiting uh, point for many of us is getting that, that, that truth out there. And, and, and and confronting the truth of, of my character defect or my diagnosis. And in the, and I can only say from my experience and in, in, in the people that I've talked with and work with, that is the 180 degree opposite of what actually happens. It's now something that, that you can hold on to, you can deal with it, you can effectively work with it and around it. It doesn't change. You just start doing life differently to, to, to deal with that. And, and your point, you said you're working through it. You're using the techniques and the tools uh, to deal with that in you. And I'm doing the same thing. Uh, so if, if you're 13 or 73, getting it identified will make it easier to deal with. Because what, what our minds are doing are, are creating these, these things that are, that are unrealistic and not even in many cases accurate. So we're our own worst enemy when we're, when we're not getting an answer to some of the things that we're dealing with. And I think that is difficult too. I, when we used to go on all these calls, you know, and particularly uh, suicide calls or really traumatic, uh, signal 30 traumatic death calls, my mind, I, I got to the point, Chris, where my mind would take me to the worst place in the world, kind of like some of the dance on art that, we, that he's done through his healing and recovery and resiliency yeah. um, that when I saw in real life that that victim or that patient, that human being, I was like, 
that isn't as bad as I was expecting. And it was horrible. And, and what I was doing was minimizing or over manifesting uh, the truth. My, so my brain was playing horrible tricks on me. And then I was seeing them in nightmares. I was seeing them in, in because it was like I was trying to mess around with, with, with the reality. I was trying to change my perception of the reality to make it something that I could understand. So you could be okay with it. So you could accept. And I could be okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then we often do that. Like we, we shift our own perspective and our own reality to fit. So we feel okay. Right. Because we don't want, we, we have the fear of, I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm not okay. So I'm going to make this fit and make it what it is when it, in reality, it's just, it's not that. Yeah. And it would, it would tear me up and, and, until I was able to safely, like, um, to use Daniel again, he created 2D art from the 3D world and the imagery of his mind to start a healing process. And through me, through therapy counseling and EMDR, I'm now able to have these things that, that are unsafe if left uh, not captivated within my mind uh, in the safety of therapy. But I know all these places that I put these things safely and encapsulated them. And if I need to address them, I can bring them out. And, and now I'm having the tools to, to safely deal with that. Where, where if it's something comes up with something that went on with me and my dad, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, and, and he and I are having a conversation and there's that catalyst for a negative or adverse response, I can remember that I safely put it away because I've unpacked that. I've dealt with it. I was the bull. I dealt with it. Um, head on, head first, and now I can say and, and react or respond appropriately, more appropriately usually, because I have unpacked it and I've taken out the minutiae, the garbage, and my feelings, so I can have a cognizant, cogent conversation about this is what I felt at the time, without having all the manifestations of anger and frustration and violence. That, that I could look like I was getting ready to uh, exhibit it. And then we have growth in that as well. So that's the other way that I've become much more relational is by having been able to uh, safely and securely put these things away that I've worked on in order to have an honest conversation about them later without all the other stuff coming up. And then stopping usually a conversation from being safe to unhealthy. And the fact that you're able to recognize that, I'm sure that as you continue to work on yourself and your recovery, you know, you've, you've gained a lot more uh, tools to be able to do that, if that would be a safe assumption. Um, I, I feel like, you know, at least for me, you know, it, it, early on, yeah, I, I didn't have those tools, but now I, I do. And for those of you that are listening or, or watching this episode, you know, I highly encourage, you know, Take some time and really try to unpack and, and understand kind of it's okay to fail. It's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to uh, uh, not hit some of the expectations that others or worse off you put on yourself. It's okay. Um, and it's okay just to sit there and, and work within yourself to try to grow. The more that you're able to be aware, awareness, at least for me, has been a key part of my recovery, but I didn't just become aware overnight. I had to really 
ask hard questions. I had to stay focused on what I was trying to go because, as you mentioned, Eric, your mind wants to kind of play tricks on you and take you down paths and throw up narratives that just are not there. And so I've had to really learn more about myself, you know, and, and navigating my own brain. Um, and that's really kind of been cathartic for me because I'm able to go outdoors now and and be at peace and I can let things go and wash off of me. Whereas before they would just, you know, someone cuts me off in the morning on my way to work. It just sets up my whole day to be negative and I wouldn't let it go. Why? You know, we, we hold on to some things that just are so unrealistic that it does become a negative detriment to your recovery, who you are as a person and who you want to be. It inhibits your own growth. So you, know, you really got to be vulnerable. <laughs> Say, I love you. Check in with people. You know, all these things that we've kind of talked about during this very powerful episode. Um, those are things that don't happen overnight. So having the expectation that you're going to listen to this episode or watch it, and you're going to take what me and Eric said are some of the things that we use in our own lives, and immediately things are going to get fixed or are going to be rosy is not a realistic expectation. But taking some of these points away that Eric shares and applying those principles to areas of your life can be extremely impactful and a good start to your recovery. And for those of you that are in recovery or getting over some of the trauma that you've had or just working on your own personal or professional development and keeping yourself well, you know, take some of these tools, these tips, these tricks, um, some of the points that Eric and I shared and incorporate them if they work. If they don't, then there's no need. But I always tell my students, try something once and see how it works for your own process because you, unless you try someone else's ideas or you're open to those, you're only going to know what you know and what you've been exposed to. And you just, you get siloed. You don't really grow quickly or, or sometimes not even past a certain point. You know, Eric, you know, I thought this was a very insightful conversation. I'd love to have you back on. Are there any key points based on the discussions uh, or any thoughts you'd like to leave the listeners and the viewers today on today's episode about what we've talked about, you know, with real unrealistic expectations or really anything you've, you've hit on so many great points. Well, first of all, thank you. And, and yes, in, in just a few, uh, minutes here, uh, one thing that I heard you say is, is uh, without saying it, when, when like a person cut you off and why would you carry that through the rest of the day? Uh, and many of us, including myself, uh, have allowed that to happen in our lives. And what, what are we trying to control that we have literally no control over? versus what are we avoiding dealing with? And, and there's that juxtaposition of control and power versus uh, feeling impotent and in, in, um, lacking uh, a purpose or lacking acceptance of ourselves in, in those failure moments. So why am I reacting and responding so viscerally to something that I literally had no control over? versus there are things in my life that I can start controlling and at the very least my reaction and response to those actions. So um, in confidence, I walk around with a much more bold confidence today, not because I don't feel like a failure, not because my inner critic isn't clicking often, not because I don't have imposter syndrome like I do even when I'm speaking in a large group. Um, I'm learning how to control those things and I'm using tools from uh, 
you, Chris, and my therapist and, and people that I've had on the podcast. And because they're sharing with me, it's also validating to them. And, and we're willing to listen. And, and the, last couple, the last two things I want to say is giving grace to yourself, forgiving yourself, and knowing that you didn't create the environment for all the circumstances that you're dealing with or not dealing with. You have seen and witnessed trauma. You have had trauma committed upon you. And we have done things to ourselves that I would hope none, no human would ever have to do or would have chosen to do. Be present and address the issues. Uh, your sense of purpose is not devalued because you've experienced something, even though we wish to minimize who we are on this plane of humanity. And I'm just so thankful and, and appreciative of the opportunity that we've had to share. And if people are hurting out there, uh, there is a way out. And it might not be Chris's way and it might not be my way, but if we jump in that hole with you and you say, why are you here with me? We know a way out. And I'll leave it with that, Chris. But we, we, there is a way out. There is a way out. We can fix this. Studies show that. We're not broken. We've had an insult to injury, right? So, you know, I love what you've said, Eric. You know, I feel like a lot of us who really champion mental health along first responders uh, would be willing to jump into any hole. And you're right. It may not be my way. It may not be Eric's way. It may not be the National Institute of Health's way. But I can guide you. Eric can guide you. The National Suicide Prevention Hotline, for example, can guide you on a way out and to start that. And it's always better to start than just lay down and die. You know, we hope that each one of you, especially if you're suffering, has that strength to at least stick up a hand, reach out, text somebody, call someone, and let them know that you're hurting and be vulnerable. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to feel emotions, especially if you don't know how to process those emotions. It's okay. You didn't fail at anything. You didn't let anything down. You didn't let anybody down. You didn't let yourself down. You know, unrealistic expectations, they can be the death of you if you let them. But if you slowly start reframing and shifting your perspective on realistic expectations and what is realistic versus unrealistic, at least you can start bringing in that awareness and that can help in your recovery. So as we wrap up in another enlightening episode of Critical Conversations by Mind the Frontline, we want to extend a heartfelt gratitude to Eric Chase with EMS Improv. Please go check out his website at www.emsimprov.com. His depth and knowledge to today's conversation truly enhances the mission of promoting first responder mental health and wellness along with recovery. If you did find today's discussion enlightening as a listener or as a viewer, we want to stay connected with you. So please do me a favor, subscribe, like, and leave a comment and interact and engage so we can all share our experiences and learn. Not one of us has the answer, but together, collectively, we can rise together. Alone, we fall. Your subscription ensures that you never miss an episode, and it's a powerful way to show that your commitment to fostering a better health and wellness along the first responder community. Uh, to our dedicated listeners, thank you for joining us on the critical journey. Uh, your support makes the impact of these conversations resonate even further. So please share 
Give this some love. Get it out to the people that mean the most to you. For more information and additional resources, you can always visit the Mind the Frontline website where we have blogs, resources, state-by-state, national, uh, and and so much more at www.mindthefrontline.org. Together, let's continue these critical conversations and build a stronger, more resilient first responder community. Until next time, take care, stay strong, and mind the frontline. To our dedicated listeners, thank you again for joining us on this critical journey. Remember, the Critical Conversations podcast is a steadfast resource for police, fire, EMS, allied healthcare workers, dispatchers, air medical and military personnel, along with their families. Your support makes the impact of these conversations resonate even further. If you found today's discussion enlightening and want to stay connected with our ongoing mission, please be sure to subscribe to the Critical Conversations podcast. You can find us via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and the Mind the Frontline website. Your subscription ensures that you will never miss an episode, and it's a powerful way to show your commitment to fostering resilience within the entire first responder community. For more information and additional resources, visit our website at www.mindthefrontline.org. Together, let's continue these critical conversations and build a stronger, more resilient first responder family. We thank you for being a part of the Critical Conversations podcast. Until next time, take care, stay strong, and mind the front line.